Hi everyone, this is episode number seven of Weird in High School, a podcast that invites creatives to share why they create, because at the end of the day, we were all weird in high school. Today, I'm very fortunate to be joined by Taylor. Taylor is a fantastic, amazing, and inspiring Calgarian musician. She has a voice that will melt your insecurities and break down your walls. I caught up with Taylor to talk the Calgary music scene, her recent show with Michael Bernard Fitzgerald, writing grants, and basically keeping your head up in this time. Before I get into this awesome chat, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge the support and the hosting of Smoking Ghost Recordings, and to acknowledge my record, A Table by the Window, that is out wherever you find your digital music. I would also like to mention that this show is looking for supporters, so if you are a brewery, a coffee shop, a cowboy boot maker, a leathersmith, something cool that that wants to have me yell about them once a week on this podcast, please email mgmt at smokingghostrecordings.com. Please enjoy this chat with Taylor. Thanks so much for coming on. I uh, am really excited to have you you work so hard and I realized there was like I had this moment watching you with with MBF where I was getting into that kind of ego thing where you are actually being jealous and admiring someone and it's so easy to be like why can't I be like that and I took a moment I was just like no Annie's just she works so hard and that's that's so admirable and and I find that really inspiring. Thank you for saying that. That's really nice. I think um, it's so easy to fall into that trap, especially because the path that we've chosen is so difficult, and it can be full of, like, a scarcity mentality. Like, we can fall into that, and so when we see, like, an opportunity being, you know, exercised by another human, like, oftentimes I think it's pretty easy to just be like, damn, how did I miss that? Like, what? But I learned um, this word uh, a little while ago, honestly, like maybe two or three years ago, called um, compersion, which is, I think the definition, and don't fully quote me on this, but the definition is something along the lines of like that feeling of jealousy, but it like quickly transforms into um, like excitement or like gratitude or like you're happy for the other person. Um, and I've been trying to, like, exercise that throughout the last few years, specifically in, like, the creative world. It's, like, feeling that jealousy, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because it kicks me in the ass and, like, it makes me work hard. But then trying to, like, transmute it into this, like, compersion and feeling like, oh, okay, like, opportunities are being had and that's a beautiful, um, yeah, a beautiful look into the potential opportunities that will be coming up in the future, you know? But, yeah, so thanks for, thanks for saying that. But I feel you, for sure. Well, it was really kind of awesome for me to see, like, I, I take it you you are a fan of Michael, um, mm. but watching you kind of react to him the way that, like, like to me, relative to me, you are well more established and kind of like... Mm the the cool artist who with the killer voice who plays everywhere and then kind of <laughs> watching you react to Michael the way that I react to people kind of even at your level 
was, uh, I mean, there's always a sliding scale. Like John Butler talked about mm. how you can sell out one place, but you're just going to want to sell out the next place. So it is kind of this awesome humbling to realize that we're all just people doing this for the same reason. Totally. Yeah, totally. That was a very cool experience. I'm also a fan of MBF. I've been like kind of trying to like figure out ways to work with him for the last like six years. And I think um, as I've been able to mature, and I don't know if I would call myself established or anything, but as I've been able to mature through my music, it's been cool to like, it was a cool moment of, like gratification, but something that's more like gratitude built than gratification, if that makes sense. Like it, it I don't know. Yeah, gratification sounds like a really like ego based word, but it was just very cool to like sit there and be like, damn, like five year old, like five years ago me would be losing my mind right now if I knew what was going on on this stage. Um, so yeah, that was a very cool show. It was a cool moment. How did that come about, if you don't mind me asking? Um, yeah, no worries. I have been kind of, like, in contact with MBF over the last couple of years. Um, the relationship opened um, because he was performing at the Cape Eddie and needed um, an opener, and his previous book's opener dropped out really last minute, and I think it was maybe, like, a week before the show, and I got a call from the booker who just said, like, hey, is there any chance you'd be willing to fill in and open for MBF? And I lost my shit. I, like, called my mom. I was losing my mind because I had been, like, in my head trying to, like, manifest that for so long. Um, but I didn't have a band. And he was like, yo, yeah, bring your band. And this is when you start. And I was like, yes, yes, okay, yes, mm-hmm. Like, no, no idea how I was going to pull it off. Um, and then I was just really lucky to reach out to some of my friends in the music community and pull together a band last minute. We had, like, one rehearsal in the basement of the King Eddie before we got on stage, and it was so fun, and it went really well. Um, and then after that, uh, the door was kind of, like, open a little bit. We knew who we were um, in relation to each other, and he put out a call for um, some backup singers to come join his project. Um, and I applied and went in and did, like, a little audition thing at OCL. And that kind of, like, solidified, I think, the relationship. Um, and I was able just to be like, hey, here I am, I'm an artist too, and this is what I do, and here's my voice, and listen to me, and let me work with you, please. Um, but I, do, I don't think it was until he had a bit more time to invest into the local community where, like, that relationship really flourished, and he asked me to be part of this show. Because um, he's a busy dude. Like, he has been touring so much. Um, and... I think has just had his like sights set on like these big grand adventures through touring and so when he made his mind up to do this local show um, I think I was kind of already in his mind a little bit from our previous um, interactions so super grateful um, that I my name came up for him and he reached out to me um, and that had been being planned I think since like was it April like he was putting this show together since April so very cool and there was like 20 shows so he worked with so many local musicians and really offered his platform to everyone, which I thought was really um, amazing and kind of helped those networking connections grow because no matter where a lot of the local artists were kind of in their musical journey in the city, um, he worked with people like J.J. Shiplett, who kind of like are a lot more established, um, or like myself, um, who's kind of still getting my footing Um so it was really cool to like watch that lineup be announced and see so many homies um, 
who are also figuring out the music game. And yeah, very cool to be on that stage. Where did your active involvement music or in music start? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I moved to Calgary let's see six years ago now. And I moved to Calgary on a Tuesday and um just had gotten out of a breakup like classic, moved to this I moved to Medicine Hat for this guy I was seeing um when I was nineteen and it didn't work out obviously and I was super heartbroken but also really stubborn and didn't want to go back home and um Calgary was the next biggest city on the map so I just like moved to Calgary on the weekend. Um came showed up on like the Tuesday or something and was so like grossly involved in this heartbreak um that I didn't unpack and like, I'm going to go find music. Like, I'm going to go bring my guitar to an open mic in the city, and I'm just going to pour my head on stage, and, like, this is my favorite form of therapy, um, and I don't even care that I don't know anyone. And Koi had their open mic on Tuesday, as you know, um, and it was the first link that had shown up on Google when I Googled, like, Calgary open mics. And um, it was run by someone named Carla Olive at the time, who is an amazing musician and also is a really great knack for making people feel really um, like seen and really special kind of and so I think having her warmly welcome me into this a small open mic community that was completely different than it is now um, it was full of like a lot of like older kind of like more mature musicians um, and for her to just completely like let me on the stage and pass me the mic and let me talk about my ridiculous heartbreak and write my songs that weren't very good at the time but like were cute and like kind of emotional and um, that was the first like spark into me falling in love with the Calgary music community um, and then since then it's just kind of been this snowball uh, it's like a runaway train wrapped in a snowball kind of and sometimes I feel like I have a grasp of it and I feel like I know what to expect and I know what's coming next and then other times I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing in the music community and I just feel so grateful to even have like a small place in it um, and to be able to collaborate with so many amazing musicians. Where's home originally? I'm from the west coast. I'm from Vancouver Island, a small town called Lindy Smith. But I kind of grew up all over Canada. Um, not, I guess not all over Canada, but um, between the West Coast and the East Coast. So I spent some time on the West Coast, and then my family moved to Brooks for a while in Cochrane, and then we moved to Nova Scotia, and I lived in the Annapolis Valley in a few different towns. Um, and then I decided after graduating high school that I would go travel, so I spent a year traveling, and then I moved back to Victoria, and that's where I met, you know, kind of like this first little love who was from Medicine Hat, and she's like, I follow you, yes. Um, and yeah, that's kind of why I'm here. I feel like I actually should write that guy a letter and thank him for the whirlwind romance that brought me to Calgary. So it's kind of the opposite path a lot of people take. It seems like everyone in Calgary ends up moving to Victoria or Vancouver or mm -hmm. to Montreal, Toronto. How do you feel like being in Calgary influences you as a musician and influences your opportunities? 
Mm, that's a really good question. Um, where where are you from? Also, by the way, I am born and raised here. Born and raised. Okay, cool. So we have very different perspectives of the community, probably. Um, but to get back to that question, I hmm, I it's so funny. Like I didn't anticipate staying in Calgary. I never really lived anywhere for more than three years at a time. Um, growing up, that was like the magic number. Like something would happen, and my family was pretty spiritually inclined, and you know the wind would call us somewhere, and we would just randomly. My mom would be like, "By the way, we're moving," um, and we would just pick up and go. And whether it was like house to house or town to town, it was kind of like a three-year expiration date. And so when I came to Calgary, I thought like this would be a really good place for me to get my footing again and kind of flesh out this this idea of a music career. Um, because I was so young, I was 19, I had no idea what I wanted. I, I'm pretty sure I knew that I wanted music, but I don't know if I knew how badly I wanted it. Um, I thought Calgary was going to be a great place to like lick my wounds, my like heartbroken wounds, and then move on to maybe Vancouver or Toronto. But something about the music community that I found just kept me here for so long. Like, it's been six years, which is blows my mind. Um, and I don't know, I'm not really sure what it is. I keep trying to uncover it, and from what I can sort out, I think that there's something really special about the growth of the music community in Calgary, because I think, because it's it's sort of a smaller city that's maybe not seen as being this, like, arts city, um, you know, with the oil and gas, um, Papa, and I mean, we're seeing the fall of that, but with that being kind of like the big um, driving factor of the city, and you know, we have like the Stampede, which is fun, and like lots of music, but it's very country-oriented and all this um, kind of very like showy um, stuff. I, I think there's like a really pleasant charm in the music community in Calgary, because it, it's so warm, and I think we all just are so happy to watch music thrive and there's like this end goal that we all see I think of having Calgary have like a Montreal vibe or something of like this like really beautiful inclusive diverse um, kind of experimental music community where the path hasn't really been fully paved out here and so we kind of all get to have a bit of a hand in, in creating the community or like weaving ourselves into the cultural fabric a little bit. Um, and I think that's why I stayed, to be honest. Um, I thought about moving to Montreal this time last year, actually. Um, and I also did. That's funny. French lessons. Really? Yeah. yeah. What kept you here? I, uh, sorry, I feel like I cut you off here, but I did the... I, I had my white whale break up, and I oh. was always kind of... Like, yeah, I should move to Montreal. Like, being from here, I was like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. this place, whatever. And uh, and so as I was being dumped, which I was expecting, I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'm moving to Montreal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I went there and just found that – I'm not sure I found the benefit. I, I found mm -hmm. the symbolism in – I went on this mission for good coffee because I just kept stumbling into wherever and having weird experiences. So I finally, like, Googled the coffee place and it was on St. Laurent. Mm -hmm. I went – down there and their whole wall of coffee was uh, monogram beans. 
and I said to the the barista, I was like, that's Calgarian coffee. She's like, yeah, are you from Calgary? I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh yeah, I'm from wherever in BC. And she's like, I did exactly what you're doing now. And I bought my return ticket the moment I got home. And I just, the moment she said that, it's like, well, that's not how I feel about this. I feel like I'm here drinking Calgarian coffee with my Calgarian friends. And, oh, wow. But, that's so funny. So you came back and you love it, I think? I find having grown up here, I had an idea about the city. And in the time mm. that I've gotten involved in the music scene, it's crazy because it's totally changed my view of the city. Like, it's almost like unlocking this other level um, mm. with the community, having the bars you go to where you know all the staff and it kind of, to me, it maps the city out differently. And, mm. and to people who aren't involved, you can seem really cool on like dating apps when you know five things happening <laughs> this week. Like, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it's interesting. Calgary is like a hidden gem. And it's so bizarre. Like, I, you asked about how um, I felt it was impacting my opportunities. And it's funny. Um, thank you for asking that because it's something that I've also been trying to figure out. Um, and I think that if I had gone to Vancouver or Montreal, I think that I would have been so discouraged, to be honest. I think that my passion for music would have maybe been squashed a little bit um, because I think it would be really hard to get shows and to find a place in a community that's already so well established in like so like incredible like wildly excellent musicians um in both of those communities and not that we don't have those here but there's there's almost like a little bit more room for like emerging musicians in calgary because um like we said like the community is still flushing itself out and it's still growing and it's um building and there's a need for it now which is cool um but it's not hard to get a gig when you're starting out here. And because of that, I think I was able to ride this like false confidence for a while. And it really helped me um, figure out what I actually wanted to do with music because I was given the opportunities to play all the time, everywhere. And I wasn't even really that great of a musician back then, like, but I was like accepted onto all the open mics and I was like playing gigs. I had a standing restaurant gig where I would play for like three hours. And I think it would have been so hard to do those things in Montreal or Toronto or Vancouver. Um, and I don't know if I'd be as mature or, or fleshed out as a musician as I am now, you know? I think there's something to be said for that that kind of support and warmth in the way that it it really feels like I found as I made more friends in the scene that every friend I made was also friends with the other friends I made mm. which which has its its ups and downs how do you feel about kind of the tightness of the scene it can be it can be mm. a little bit almost incestuous in a way, in the way that everyone mm. plays with the same players and knows <laughs> each other, but I mm -hmm. also find that that can be a really good resource, too, to tap into. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's a great question. Um, it's funny. I think 
I, I thought that I knew the scene so well. Um, and I thought that I, like, was like, yeah, like, I'm going to rock the dollars. I know everyone in Calgary at this point. I know all the players. I know this. I know that. And then when I started to branch out um, over the last couple of years into, like, different genres and then also going to, like, different jams, like the Kawa Jam or the, um, or going to, like, Burns randomly, like, going to venues that I wouldn't normally frequent, I realized that the music community in Calgary is so almost, like, a little bit divided into all these, like, sub- um, communities, and I think the one that you and I are talking about right now, kind of like the more singer-songwriter, like, indie um, community, I think you're right. I think it is pretty tight-knit, um, but I, I do feel like there's still that warmth, and so that warmth is still, like, hopefully opening the door for that tight-knit community to grow, and as we all, like, continue to grow up. Um, I think the people that remain in Calgary and continue to build the community, like, I think we'll be really pleasantly surprised when younger players come into the mix and, and younger musicians grace the stage. And um, I think it's going to be really cool to watch how the community shifts and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's You're right. Like, it's, it's so positive and beautiful because it's, like, this big family. But, like any family, it's... Like, it can be really dysfunctional. Um, I was having a conversation with um, my bandmate a while back about this, like, idea of, like, scarcity mentality that I touched on a little bit and how when you are always sitting in a position of survival, which I think we can probably relate to even more so now with what's happening in the world, um, the feelings of, like, dysfunction or dissonance in the community can be a bit more intense. And I, I see these patterns happen within myself that I'm trying really hard to work out, where I think that I have beef with someone because I'm actually just in survival mode and a little bit jealous of how great they're doing and not really feeling that conversion that I was talking about because I have this scarcity mentality of like, oh, there's only so many opportunities to go around and there's only so much room for us. And so my brain gets a little bit, like, competitive and turns into, like, sort of, like, more, like, I'm a bit harder, I'm a bit tougher, and, like, good luck trying to, like, get close to me because I'm, like, going to fly through the scene and I'm going to take all these opportunities with me and, like, my music is the best. And I think it's such um, an easy pod pattern to fall into because it feels, like, defensive and it feels safe and... I don't think it's the truth. Like, as I grow up a little bit more and recognize, you know, this, like, negative mindset that may sit at the core of this, you know, stress mentality that plagues me sometimes when I'm, especially when I'm applying for festivals or looking for shows or looking for anything. Um, or the social media game also. That is, like, the worst for that stress mentality because everyone is posting their best highlights of everything and you think that, you know, you're not getting any of it. Um... I think that once we all grow up like a little bit more and we recognize that the community is growing with us and more opportunities present itself, like maybe some of that dysfunction will kind of like weed itself out. And it'll feel more like, yeah, we're all here building the community and like thank God because the community needs to be built and like thank goodness we're all doing this together because it'd be way too hard to do it on our own. Um, and this is gonna be like a 
a huge, hopefully, I, I mean, I'm an optimistic, but this is going to be a huge city of music, and we all get to have a hand in, in working on it together. So I definitely hear what you're saying, hear what you're saying, um, but I'm hopeful that, that it opens up a bit and more players come in and more music is, is created and, you know, there can be some genre crossing and, um, yeah, more collaboration and more jams and, and whatnot. So two kind of points I'd like to touch on uh, regarding that is the first being that there's this talk with Music Mile about Calgary kind of becoming the next Austin or the next um, mm. the, the next kind of big mecca of music. And that's mm. an idea that I've had for a while, certainly. Like, I realize mm. that most of the American music I listen to doesn't come from their big cities. It comes from Chicago and Philadelphia. Mm. Um, like a lot of their kind of secondary cities, which are a lot bigger than Calgary, obviously, but Calgary in Canada mm. occupies that similar role. Um, yeah. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that, but I also wanted to touch on that scarcity mentality. I, it's certainly a thing to fall into and I think it's mm. evolutionary but I like I always think about this idea of competition in music. It's like at no point do I go, oh, well, either I'm going to listen to Gillian Welch forever or the Milk Carton Kids, right? Like, mm. like mm. I I feel like there is <laughs> infinite bandwidth available for good content. Absolutely. 100%. I 100% agree with you. And what's so cool about you know, being in this, like, line of work is, perspective is such an insanely beautiful thing. Like, I will never know what it is like to live a day in your shoes um, and feel what you felt and sit through or sift through any of the, the past patterns that maybe have been developed for you or your habits or your traumas or your heartbreaks. And, like, I will never, ever know that. But I get to taste it a little bit through your music. And... The way that I battled this whole, you know, scarcity mentality or like even like a bit of imposter syndrome when it comes up is recognizing that there is no one on the face of the planet that has gone through what I've gone through and vice versa. And so the songs that I write, they may sound like someone else and they may have like, you know, similar, similar lyrical content, but it's coming from a place that is so um, radically unique um, and there absolutely has to be enough room for all of it, I think. There totally is enough room for all of it. Because um, like you said, like there's so many artists that I also love to listen to on repeat, and I don't just choose one. Like I have a huge list of artists that I frequent. Um, and also, like songs don't just get listened to once either, right? Like they get put into rotation, and, and they get combined with other you know, flavors of songs to create, like, big musical meals, and um, we think that being an artist is about scarcity mentality because of that whole, like, starving artist cliche and stereotype, but I think, and I think what the pandemic has done is, it, is we're beginning to realize the, like, importance of art, and with that realization comes the opportunity to put a bit more weight into it and, like, you know, secure some of that value. Um, so yeah, I thank you for bringing that up. That's a great point. Like listening, like Jillian Walsh and the Milk Carton Kids, um, 
And then to touch on, like, Calgary becoming the next Boston, I absolutely believe so. I think that Calgary has such a great opportunity right now with this fall of oil and gas um, to reinvent itself a little bit. Like, it's, like, this, like, moody teenager. I feel like I've had this conversation with a few musicians in the community, but Calgary right now is, like, this moody teenager that, like, the dad, like, oil and gas kind of left, and, like, it's, like, doesn't know what it's doing, really, and, like, National Music Center got here, so, like, there's an outlet for some expression, and, you know, there's so many art galleries, and so many, like, artists in the city kind of, like, redefining what um, the, the culture in Calgary looks like, and so much diversity being represented that I think it has an amazing opportunity to be huge. Um, my only hope is that it, it gets huge, but it also holds its grassroots um, and the warmth that we were talking about earlier. Because um, that can be like a scary thought of, you know, Calgary becoming the next Austin or, you know, um, comparable to Toronto. And I think about how intense those music communities are and, and like we were saying earlier, how difficult it may be for younger musicians to get started because of that intensity. I mean, you even think of, like when I think of Toronto, I think of basically everything from like the Niagara region. So a lot of the stuff I associate with Toronto isn't even Toronto related. It's, mm -hmm. it's you know, Alexis on Fire and Daniel mm -hmm. Romano and kind of th that group of guys. And, and I mean, that's me personally, but I th think mm -hmm. there's a beauty to what happens in, when you share resources like that. Mm. Like, it's not like Dallas Green was bringing in Daniel Romano to play on things, you know, here's your session fee, whatever, they're just friends. And I would really like to see that. And I think it does happen between, like, you play in Code and you play in Dear Friend with Bobby. Mm. Um, and, and certainly there are a lot of those communal resources sharing. I'd love to see that mm. exist even more here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think um, once the music community like establish itself, establishes itself more and maybe some artists feel like a bit more secure, um, then I think that will be like more common. I don't know. I think about some of the jams that I've been lucky to be invited to and like jams that go until like four in the morning, five in the morning, six in the morning, and we're all just like huddled in a garage and like, sharing the mic and like instruments are being passed around and like that's how some of my favorite songs have been written and like they last for a brief second you know um or that's how like Kode formed for example like it was it was about this like sharing of resources like you were saying sharing of perspectives and sharing of art um and there's so much like insane synchronistic beauty that comes out of that what do you feel like is like stopping more of that in the community? You know, I wonder, at least for myself, I wonder how much of it is just outside influence. I know I personally have this hesitation to, to ask for things unless mm. it's like, I always approach it in a very business-like fashion. So I have to, I never just ask someone to play unless I'm ready to pay them. And, and I do think people okay. should be paid, but I... Okay. I mean, to, to reference Jillian Welch again, that 
everything is free is such a perfect song. And I think it was so mm. ahead of its time, but, mm. but if it is at the end of the day, we do this cause, cause we do it for ourselves basically, right? We, we do it mm. for expression and catharsis and, and community. And I see really the, the fact that you're choosing to spend your time playing music instead of, you know, doing anything more conventional probably means we're on the same team. Um, mm. and, I really would like to see the situation where it's like, you know, have someone call me to come play guitar on a song and then I can call them to play drums for me and like, mm -hmm. and just have this totally. sharing loop where, where awesome things happen and it's really free and no one's worried about, you know, it's like, yeah, do you have beer? <laughs> like kind of situation. Uh -huh. Yeah. Interesting. For sure. Very interesting. I wonder if that, again, kind of comes back to that survival mode thing where, and I have done this, absolutely, where, like, I've been, you know, offered a gig and was sitting with my business hat on as opposed to sitting with my artist hat on, and my first, like, response is, like, yeah, sure, what does the artist guarantee look like, you know, as opposed to being, like, oh, hell yeah, I love playing music, and so I will absolutely come and play music on your stage, regardless of money. I think it's it becomes a different story when that becomes like your survival mode of this is how I you know pay the bills this is how I um, keep you know my electricity on um, and so there's like um, a bit of a defensiveness that happens I think in general and then because Calgary's still being developed like there there is a, there are so many stages in the city. But I think there are, like, a small amount of really good stages in the city. And I think the bids for those stages are pretty high, you know? Like, trying to get onto one of those stages can be pretty difficult. And maybe that's one of the biggest factors into why the community maybe doesn't feel as openly collaborative. Um, because everyone's just trying to, like, carve out their slice of the pie a little bit. And maybe that'll change once things feel a bit more secure. Um, or more festivals, you know, pop up, or, yeah, uh, music becomes, music is brought into this light of, yeah, this is absolutely a viable career choice, and this is um, a beautiful career choice, and, like, you shouldn't be made fun of for being in a band past 18, you know, and, like, it's, it's totally this beautiful form of expression that is a job, um, and I think maybe there just needs to be more normalizing around it or something. I don't know. What do you think? Well, like the first episode, I had Jeff from Florida, BC and the Cape May. And like he told me the story about being on tour with the Constantines and the weaker thens. And, and to me, that was insane. Like, mm -hmm. that's like, yeah, I was having dinner with Jesus. Um, but <laughs> the thing that he said in the end was you know even if it is just a hobby it's it's this beautiful hobby and why should we feel belittling like even if you do spend money making an album every year people spend a lot of money on things that just for their pleasure um mm. and so even I, I always try to when i'm not having the listeners i hoped i'd have or not you know when i'm falling into the comparison trap it's mm. still like I think about the day you played with Reese and Keith at Big, mm. um, and it was like it was so random. That night was all my friends on the same stage in the same venue. Like it was mm. 
you, then Biloxi Parish, who are good friends of mine, then Amy. Mm-hmm. And then like I turn around and I see Tanner who moved to Lethbridge and he's there and it's, it's this big rush of, and I find that's what I'm missing so much is the mm-hmm. feeling like you're in a room where you can love and are loved by this whole group of people and then, you know, drive down the street and park my car. And just so happens that you and Keith are strolling down the street and it's like, Oh, friends, like to walk to the next venue with. Totally. To me, that's where the ultimate value is and why I started this podcast to have these conversations is, Mm. is to emphasize the community value that I see in it. Yeah, totally. I have never felt so, like, taken care of than that weekend at Big. Like, I felt so, A, it was one of my first, like, festivals of that kind of um, caliber. Like, being on the same stage as, like, Amy was wild. I adore that human. Um, But just being in a room, like you said, where, like, you can look around and see so many familiar faces and having that solidarity of, like, knowing that we're all doing this for the same reason and because for some reason something happened and made this, like, switch flip in us and and I think it's a pretty dedicated community from what I observe. I can look out and I see that, like, the people that I know that are going after music are, like, going after music because they have to. There is, like, something in them that has, like, unleashed this beast and, like, they have to go after music um, because it offers such a beautiful form of language and communication and connection that I don't know if a lot of other things in life that, you know, would be an alternative could. Music speaks when words don't, you know? And so there's, like, a spiritual component for me as well, is, is sitting in a room of that many people that I know have heard their music, have been, you know, um, given the, the pleasure of, of getting to know them through their music, and then also to be able to get on the same stage and offer my form of expression and have it be accepted with that same warmth. It's like, it's, it's very cool. It is very, very cool. It's like a family, like again, like we were saying. Um, and there's just so much respect for it and like mutual respect for it because like we all want the same thing. Mm-hmm. I would love to see what the first show post pandemic where there are no restrictions looks like because I think what you're saying about missing that feeling of like knowing that there's love for you and um, the room that you're standing in based on the community you're around uh, Sorry, can you say that? Uh, maybe, but I don't think it's bothersome. Okay, this is a blunder going off in the background. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's so loud. Um, but no, basically, yeah, what I was saying is I, I'm so interested to see what the first show back feels like. They're like the first rock and for dollars after all of this. Because I think everyone is craving that connection. And for myself, like I fill up my social levels with music. Um, I go to shows to like fill my social cues and like I would rather stand in a room full of people listening to music and like not really talking as opposed to like, you know, going out and, and actually making plans and, and sitting down and catching up and all these things. Like I really I feel the most comfortable at a show whether I'm playing or whether I'm listening. Um, and I think we're all craving that. And we just like miss that connection because it is a deeper level of connection. 
Well, for me, it was this, I found I had a, a pretty bad end to a pretty long relationship. And yeah. the fortunate part was that I was able to put myself in these situations where like, I don't know, I find that when I make friends with musicians, it's the way that I always thought making friends should be growing up. Like mm. we like the same mm. stuff you want to, like I find musicians are really receptive to like a person like Clinton St. John, <laughs> you know, had no idea who I was and I just liked his stuff and was like, would you get coffee with me? Like, mm. and I find that in this community, people are really receptive to that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I feel like we're lucky in that way. It doesn't feel like there's um, too many gatekeepers, you know. So if you could aim five years down the road and kind of mm -hmm. design where you were at, what would that look like? Um, hmm. Five years. I've actually been thinking about this a lot um, because of, you know, it was just grant season, and so um, I wrote a couple grants uh, for my second year in a row. Um, and it always makes me think about the future in terms of like budgeting and planning and marketing, and there's so many pieces of the puzzle that I'm learning um, are so necessary that I really thought that I wouldn't have to like fuck with kind of. Um, when I started playing music, I was like, I'm just gonna play really good music and. You know, the people will come. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, give my heart to my audiences and, you know, sing and show love and show gratitude. And, like, the career is going to unfold itself in front of me like a beautiful magic carpet. Um, but I'm learning that that is not the case. And uh, there are so many other pieces to it. And so from five years from now, in five years from now, I would like to, I think I would like to be at a point where I'm sitting on more of like an international, international stage um, as opposed to just a local stage. And maybe just national. Maybe it doesn't have to be international. But I love Calgary and I, you know, will, I see myself having Calgary as my home base. But I do envision a future that is spent touring and collaborating with really big artists. Um, opening for people like Leaf Volleybeck or like Donovan Woods, you know, and making those connections. Um, experimenting with music, that's, I'm so lucky to be in, you know, the projects of like Taylor and Coday and Dear Friend that are also different and have helped me grow my songwriting chops and experiment with sound and what I actually, you know, want um, to be creating. And yeah, I, but I do see myself staying in Calgary and, and bringing all of that experience to Calgary because a big goal of mine eventually is to be able to like be a mentor for someone who is starting out and wants to you know follow the path and whether that looks like maybe in the future like putting together like a really small independent record label or having like a cute home studio that I get to help people out with demos or you know I just I, I want to continue to give the gift of music that I've been given and I've, I've been so lucky to have so many opportunities and so if I can find a way to set myself up in the future where I can share those opportunities and have a bigger platform that those opportunities, you know, actually can help a lot and that platform can be used for something bigger than myself, then um, that's kind of what I see.
it's the getting there that is feeling a little bit tough, specifically while we're, you know, um, talking about all this during a global pandemic. It's been hard to navigate what a future would look like. But in a perfect world, touring in five years, living with the seasons, spending my winters writing and recording, spending my summers touring and exploring, and just like meeting artists that I really admire and respect and picking their brain and collaborating and constantly growing and learning. I think that's a great way to look at that. I, mm. it, it's almost, if you find something really meaningful in it and I'll, I'll ask you if, if it's the way you feel, I personally get this kind of egotistical hang up where I'm like, I know how much this means to me and it means so much more than mm. this band with the matching jumpsuits and I'm not referring mm. to any particular band, but mm. you know, it's like, like the band that goes and plays like cock rock for be- lack of a better term and just like rocks out on Friday night has mm. way bigger draws typically than songwriters mm. do. And do mm. you feel that hang up on like, well, it means so much to me, recognize that. Oh dude. Yeah, I do. I think we all do. Like it, it's hard to not, it's, it's hard not to because I think the, the emotional investment that we give to music and the spiritual investment and like the monetary investment and the material investment, like there's so much investment into this path. If you, if you actually want it and you want to find some form of success in it, there's a lot of sacrifices that have to be made. And I think because of how emotional it is, I find myself getting frustrated where I'll be like, like, for example, last year, Coday wrote a grant. It was our first grant that I'd, I'd ever been part of writing. And we wrote um, a sound jury factor grant, basically asking for 10 grand to move ahead with um, producing the album. And we didn't get it. And I remember thinking we were going to get it so bad. And I was, like, sitting in my ego just being like, we are, like, the best new band in Calgary. Like, we are so good, our songs are so hot, we are so tight, like, this has never been heard before, um, and then not getting it, and feeling like I was, like, owed something, like, I was, like, oh, I can't believe, like, they just clearly don't, they clearly don't get us, you know, and then applying for this grant for the second year in a row with our new demos, and listening back to our old demos that we had submitted, and just, like, hearing how young we were, and how terrible that album would have been if they had gone ahead and funded it. It would have been so bad, you know? And we, I had no idea. I was still growing as a person, growing as a musician. My maturity levels were still figuring themselves out. I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. And um, it was a really nice kind of reflection this time around to listen to our new demos and listen to our old demos and be like, okay, I get it, Factor. I get it. 100% 100% like thank you for not funding us because we were not ready and it's easy to feel like the world owes you something when you're so invested in it and when you feel like you've given up so much for it but I've learned recently that while it is so important to have high hopes and high expectations and expect the world to be this like big beautiful magical adventure I think that is totally great and I don't think there's anything wrong with having those expectations I do think, though, that it is important to remember that, like, the community owes us nothing, and the world owes us nothing, and all of the opportunities that we want 
we have to kind of find a way to have a hand at creating, almost. Um, but I feel you. It is tough to be a singer-songwriter and try to pull people to shows because oftentimes, like, people who maybe don't understand music um, as at, like, an emotional level that maybe musicians do, like, they don't really want to go sit down and listen to someone sing about their feelings for two hours, you know? And it's a, it's a tough realization, but I'm learning that, like, people want to be, like, entertained, they want to be... Definitely they want to be vulnerable, but I think the majority of people when they're going to a show are more likely to, to go somewhere where, like, like you said, like a prog rock band is playing, and they can dance, and they can have fun, and they can forget about the world for a minute and have that, like, piece of escapism. Because that's a big, very real part of music and what it can offer. But I think what can be frustrating is is a lot of singer-songwriters want to offer this more vulnerable side, and they want to offer like the safety of emotion and the safety of connection, and you know maybe challenging and maybe reflecting a little bit. And it's it's really oftentimes can be um, a really intense experience. And so I'm learning that being a singer-songwriter is not for everyone, or sorry, having people like singer-songwriting music is not for everyone, you know? Right. Well, and I find that, I, I think the engagement is more meaningful if you mm. touch a fan in a profound way. I think you have a fan for probably mm. forever. Like, I mm. had the opportunity to have coffee with Dan Mangan, and he had this record oh, what? that... Yeah, and it was for school actually. We but, need to go back to that. But it yeah. was mm -hmm. a v very neat experience. Um, I made him late for X ninety two nine because my ticket wouldn't work <laughs> at the Bankers Hall Parkade, and uh, <laughs> I, I apologized to Matt Berry on his behalf or on my behalf about him being late. So if if Dan's listening, um, there's no ill will at X. <laughs> um, but the. It's interesting because, like, in my first year of university, his first album, and he actually has an album before it that I really like, but he is banished from the internet. Um, but there's a song, Journal of a Narcoleptic, and it's, I'm sleeping while I'm still on my feet. In my first year of university, I'm in business school in Lethbridge, and I just, like, he spoke to me how I felt. And so I don't relate to his music now about being a father and about living in the suburbs. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I might get there and then it'll hit me, mm -hmm. but I forever feel connected because of, because of the emotion he put into that. And mm. I forget who Dennis Bowman quoted, but he quoted a songwriter who t told him you make fans one at a time. And I, how do you mm. feel about that? I think that that is, mm is really the approach you need to take having that meaningful connection with everyone who does connect to your music. Mm -hmm. That's a really great way of thinking about it. I think that we have a good opportunity as singer-songwriters to do that. Um, because it does feel really personal. You know, like one of my favorite things about shows um, and performing is creating a space where other people get to um, feel comfortable in what they're their emotional state is, or, you know, maybe escape into a song for a minute, or maybe be reflective about a song, but in a way that it feels like a partnership, and it's not just like, I'm on stage and you're, you're an audience. I really love finding a way to 
know the audience as much as I'm letting them know me. And sometimes that just looks like after a show, you know, people come up and, and feel inclined to tell me their life story. And that's happened multiple times. And I'm so grateful that it keeps happening because it is like so much fuel to the fire of music to have someone come up after and be like, dude, I have so much I have to tell you. Because all of a sudden, this like layer of, I don't even know what it is. Like maybe it's like a hardened external layer gets taken off because the vulnerability is so present and um, it's almost like a friendship is formed, kind of, except it's like kind of like one way a little bit where it's like a lot of like, I don't know if you feel this when you're on stage, but for myself it feels like a lot of like venting. Like I feel like I'm like getting a lot out of my system that is built up and I just am like, ah, and like here's why this song is like this way and like, ah, this is why it means so much to me now and I need to get this out of my system and like thank you for offering me the space to do this. And so I think being able to be so vulnerable will always create space for other people to be vulnerable as well. And that is where I think the magic is found in terms of creating friends. Is I think it's kind of more so like creating real friendships. Because you're, you're trusting your audience with these like vulnerable nuggets of information. And I've been lucky enough to have them trust me as well and have people come up to me and trust me as well. I played a show um, it was one of my first ones kind of coming out of COVID and it was a backyard show and um, social distance, everyone was, was being safe and um, I finished playing and stayed for like two or three hours at this bonfire as all these women took turns sharing pieces of heartbreak and pieces of growth and spiritual practices and just like went around in this like giant circle and I got to know so much about the strength of these strangers. And this one woman pulled me aside at the end of it and asked me if she could, you know, um, get some advice about something. And it was about a love that she was struggling with and ended up telling me her entire life story. And, um, you know, she immigrated here from India and, and kind of grew up in a way where love wasn't at the forefront of her life. And she thought she was going to have to work forever. And she's just fallen in love now for the first time and she's in her 40s and she's like navigating that and she told me this like whole beautiful life story and trusted me with this and it felt so I was like this is why I do this this is why we do this as songwriters and as people who are willing to be really emotionally vulnerable we do this because it like creates space and holds space and creates inclusion within the community and um, I love that quote that you just said creating fans what do you say? It's something like creating fans one at a time. You create fans one at a time. Yeah, you, you make you so make true. fans one at a time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's so true. It's it's almost there's so many pieces of music. You know, there's like girls um, that I've taught vocals to that are obsessed with Shawn Mendes. Like, don't really have a reason as to why they're obsessed with them. Can't really fully explain why, but like have his T-shirt on and like the phone case and this whole thing and like squeal about his music and it's like. You know, this this wild fan has been created. Um, but I think there's, like, layers to it, and I hope that the way that I carry my music through my career, um, I want to be creating friendships more so than fans, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. So kind of to wrap up here, an idea I wanted to touch on with you I described songwriting to my mom as being like packing up 
feelings and thoughts into this box and when you release the music or you play it you are basically sending the box to an undetermined address you just mm. so the the first question i have for you is do you feel like it's a vessel for your own catharsis and release in that way that when you synthesize something or kind of alchemize it into music and art that it flows into the ether and, and becomes less empowered inside yourself. And the other thing I wanted to segue into from that is warm your bed, because I think that that song is the song of yours that hits mm. me so profoundly where I was like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Thank you for saying that. Mm. Ooh, this is a good question. Um, it's interesting. I've been having a similar conversation with some of my music pals. Um, mostly, I think, because of COVID and surrounding kind of the the mental health piece of COVID and lockdown and, and what it's done for myself. Um, specifically, I don't know. I can't really speak for anyone else, but I think it's like it's clearly been a hard time for a lot of people. Um, and I've been having this conversation surrounding music because I actually, I haven't written a song in, I want to say maybe like one or two months. And at the beginning of COVID, um, I couldn't write either. Like I, there was nothing that could come out. And I was revisiting old songs and trying to find a way to speak to the pandemic and try to find a way to like reflect and nothing was happening. And then the songs that I ended up writing um, throughout the first half of COVID ended up just being love songs. And like, I like found myself falling in love during a pandemic, which was bizarre. Um, and so it's interesting, like, as of now, I would say that, to be completely honest, my relationship with music is a little bit broken. <clears throat> and the reason I want to share this is just because I feel like it's helpful for someone who's maybe listening and, and they're like, oh my god, my relationship with my creativity is also maybe broken and I should fix it. Because as soon as I decided that this was like my career and I was going to pursue this full time, that chip that we talked about a little bit earlier, kind of like having that chip on the shoulder, it also created like a bit of a weird mentality surrounding my creativity where if I wasn't being productive with my creativity, if I wasn't writing or if I wasn't, you know, doing shows and if I didn't have like my end goal as part of the process of my creativity, that I felt like I was wasting my time, which Logically, I know it is not the case. Um, and so lately I've been really trying to figure out how to fix that idea of I need to write a song because I need this to be my career as opposed to I need to write a song because I need to get this emotion out, which is what it used to be. Like I started writing music because I was having a very hard time with my mental health and it, it became a very big piece of catharsis. Um, and I think the shift then was like, oh, I'm writing this because I need to, and, and I need music, and it is so helpful, and this is my form of therapy, to then performing and then still having that be a piece of it, but then watching how it was also kind of like offering catharsis to other people, and then in my head being like, oh, so that needs to be what I do now. I have to be creating that space so that other people can be helped through music. Like, I just, that became the responsibility. And so lately I'm trying hard to get back to kind of like 
I don't want to say like the selfish components of it because I don't think it is selfish. I think it's like sacred. Um, but finding the ways back to the therapeutic side. And Let Me Warm Your Bed was actually a very therapeutic song, just to segue into that. Um, and every time I sing that song, it is therapeutic. Every time. Every time I sing it in my practice, every time I sing it on stage, I feel like exactly what you said. I feel like I'm like releasing a piece of like weight um, out into the world and out into the universe. And uh, the other thing is that I, I do feel it all again, though. And so it's almost kind of funny. Like there are songs that I don't perform anymore because I I don't want to feel the way that I felt when I was writing those songs. And it brings up everything in it and. I don't know if you can relate, but like um, every time I touch a song, whether I'm in maybe not as much in my practice routine, but when I'm performing or when I'm jamming it, everything within that song is brought to the surface. Like regardless of how old it could be, I have like songs that are like ten years old that I wrote in the beginning about. I was so angry. I had this song that I wrote about being mad at the world and you know the injustices and inequalities of the world. And if I play that now, I'm I'm like fired up. I'm like mad. And like it's not very good songwriting. It's not very good like melody structures at all. But like that feeling exists, and I feel like it's like this magical thing where like like you said, you you synthesize almost like a a piece of history of your own personal history into this little ball. And then when you perform that song, that ball gets to like explode again and gets to shine for a minute, and it can be so therapeutic, but I've also found that it can be so painful um, for myself. And yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad that that's not just a personal thing. I'm glad that you also kind of feel that. Because um, it it's, pretty, it's pretty weird. It's kind of a weird thing. I kind of, what you said about bringing things back up, I, f I find that's one of my biggest issues with the lead time on recording and releasing an mm -hmm. album. Cause even mm -hmm. my last record we recorded in June and it came mm -hmm. out October 23rd. So I had a lot of time to sit with these masters and listen to them and mm -hmm. worry about whether or not it was good enough. And, and I do feel about this, that I accomplished what I meant to and that it is honest, but when you write mm. this, like it's a very personal kind of bit breakup album, right? It's mm -hmm. nothing fancier than that. But the thing about that is, you know, be it the, when you try to approach things from all these angles, you try to write the positive song for the person that hurt you. And you try to write the song mm. that's not too harsh on the person that hurt you, but rep mm. represents that you're hurt. And, uh, and I did find that every time I went to listen to those songs that at that point were like a year old, um, mm. that it, it put me right back there. But there's this interesting catharsis and in, like the moment it was out, it was like out of my hands now. Mm. Now mm. it's now it's for whoever wants to insert any meaning that they have in the song. And it's totally. like, now it's not my story. Oh, I love that. I love that. Because that's also such a cool thing about music is like creating these access points for um, connection. And yeah, whoever listens to that 
album can probably relate in so many ways, but with a completely different story. And that's that's really cool. There's almost like some solidarity within that, which is very neat. Do you find like when you perform them, do you find yourself kind of falling back into the state of when you wrote the song? I haven't really had the opportunity to perform mm. those songs, um, recording and releasing during the COVID time is, mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the thing, but, and in reference to, you mentioned that kind of creative drain, I feel like there was this pressure to, for everyone to have their Vietnam war creative era. And oh. I so badly didn't want to want to, I, I don't feel I can serve something so broad with, anything that's going to be more helpful than anyone else will. Like when it's something everyone's experiencing at the same time, I don't feel like I have a unique way to address that. So for seven months, I just didn't write anything. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So I relate to that. Certainly. Mm -hmm. I think that's been kind of the thing for a lot of creatives, to be honest. Like I am, do you, listen to Questlove's podcast? I don't, but I should. Oh my god, I just found it, and I am obsessed with it. Um, The last episode that I listened to was his um, episode with Alicia Keys, and it was, they were kind of doing it over Zoom, I think, um, during the pandemic, and just chatting about, you know, how all of this has impacted creativity, and she says you can write, she says you can touch your music, she can touch your piano, and that blew my mind, and that was so, that took off so much pressure, <laughs> kind of. Not that I feel that I am anywhere near Alicia Keys, but, like, as soon as she said that in the podcast, I was like, oh, my God, like, thank God, like, I know that maybe I was supposed to be writing this whole time, but I just, like, probably couldn't, and I only, I only wrote a few songs, and, you know, Dime Days came out, and, and Bobby and I did that, and, like, I just, in my head, I just didn't feel like any of it was good enough. And I, and I didn't feel like it was enough at all. Like, I was like, oh, I should be more productive. Like you said, I should be having my, you know, year of art right now because I have all this time that I never thought I would, and I should be using it wisely. But I think it's hard to draw inspiration from a world that feels like it's at a standstill. And I think that's so normal. And, like, to release yourself from that pressure, at least I found, has been very helpful. I agree with that. I I feel very garbage in, garbage out in a way. I need to be meeting people mm-hmm. and seeing things and and you know being in these positions of empathizing with a person at a show to get a song idea. But but well, I've kept you for longer than I planned to. Is there anything mm-hmm. that you would like listeners to check out? Places they should mm-hmm. look for your stuff. Um. Well, I don't know. Um. First of all, thanks for having me. This has been such a nice conversation. Yeah, thank you so um, much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. I'm excited to continue to yeah follow your podcast journey. Um, I don't know. I I not not really like there's stuff to plug right now. I did just record "Let Me Warm Your Bed." Actually, um, <clears throat> I recorded it kind of in demo form with uh, Michael Tay, who I just adore. He was so helpful. It's so funny. I like had to get this done for the grant and um, did not intend on recording a new song for the grant, but was just kind of like, oh, my old stuff sucks. Went through that. And so um, recorded and Curtis 
um, who is the drummer for Play, came on and did some drums for it, and then Maxwell um, brought some bass for it, thank goodness, and <clears throat> Michael Kissinger put some pedal steel on it, and so very much like a rough demo version of Let Me Warm Your Bed, but I'm like toying with the idea of maybe just like dropping it on like SoundCloud or something, nothing, nothing special, but just somewhere that I can be heard, um, and then hopefully um, when I record in the new year and have the full version of it, um, I'll be releasing it as a single under my, like, kind of my first single under my name Taylor, because um, all of my stuff is still under Ann Taylor. Um, so that's exciting, and Koday is releasing our first single in December at some point. Um, we did a two-day, like, intensive recording weekend at the NMC, and I'm so, so, so proud of these demos and so excited about them, and um, we can only release one because the other two were submitted for Factor, and um, until we know about the grant, we can't do anything with them. But um, yeah, that's kind of going to happen soon. And then Dear Friend has a couple of singles that I think we're planning on putting out before the new year as well. So who knows? December could be a big month. Um, and then that's kind of it. Yeah, no shows. Um, kind of feeling like lockdown might happen again, so I don't know if shows are going to be a thing at all. I really didn't love the live stream thing, so who knows what will happen, but hopefully just, yeah, creating some, some positive content um, to keep, yeah, keep some, keep some love in the world right now. I realized very recently that I probably wasn't going to change the world, um, and it released a lot of pressure, <laughs> and uh, really humbled me um, in a way that was very needed, obviously. Um, and so my new tactic has just been uh, sitting in vulnerability a bit more and compassion and, and hopefully just bringing a bit of like, love and warmth to the table wherever I go. So, yeah. Thanks again for tuning in to this wonderful chat about the meaning of songwriting, the importance of music, and pushing forward. Again, I'm your host, Breton Lee John. If you like this show and you want it to be a thing that keeps happening, it probably still will be a thing that keeps happening, but it means a lot to me if you share it with people who might dig it, if you reach out to people that might be interested in sponsoring the show. That helps me have the time to make it. Questions, comments, suggestions for guests. You want to be a guest yourself. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with me through mgmt at smokingghostrecordings.com or there's a contact sheet on Smoking Ghost Recordings. I hope you'll check back in next week for another episode of the show. We're now on all major podcasting apps, so that's pretty cool. You can listen to us on the grand Spotify, the arc that carries music forward, whether we like it or not. Thanks so much for tuning in.